Hello and welcome to this episode of the Sports Council Podcast. I am your host Matt and I am here with Vivek and Brian for this episode of the show. An attempted title defense falls short of expectations as the defending champion Golden State Warriors are eliminated in the second round of the playoffs. We break down what went wrong this season and what needs to be done to keep the dynasty alive. Plus, we react to Monty Williams being fired from the Suns and predict the upcoming conference finals. Today is May 14th, 2023, and this is episode 103 of the show. And a happy Mother's Day to everybody. I hope you guys uh, celebrated with two moms today or whenever this episode comes out. But, you know, we're here to talk about the NBA. Uh, we're back after uh, round two. We didn't make a round one episode post game, but, you know, we were obviously excited as Warriors fans and then uh, subsequently disappointed, to say the least, I think. <laughs> I'm still feeling it, man. It's just, is the dynasty really over just right off the bat right there man that's the first thing everyone was just on the tip of everyone's tongues after that series came to an end yeah i mean (laughs) a lot of questions surrounding the warriors for the past few days and it's only gonna get worse i think during the off season you know the warriors are on everyone's minds in the media um but you know we'll talk about that in just a little bit first things first um yesterday some big news came down, and I just want to get you guys' thoughts on that. Unfortunately, you know, our residential Suns fan, G, couldn't make it because he's still grieving after the latest Christopher elimination. But the Suns are firing Monty Williams, their head coach, for the last three or four years. Monty has basically led the Suns to the most winningest record of the past three years, including an NBA Finals appearance, the best record in the NBA, And recently, they were eliminated in the Western Conference semifinals to the Denver Nuggets in six games after another blowout at home. It was pretty humiliating. But, you know, Monty Williams has basically led the Suns to a very successful stretch over the last couple of years, and now he's just gone just like that. So, you know, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, it's just really interesting, I think, with this most recent fire, right? Just this... It's not even the offseason yet. It's still the playoffs. But we saw, start off with Nick Nurse of the Raptors. You know, he actually won. Well, he he did win a championship with the Raptors. And he is now off the team. is looking for work. Then you have the Bucks with Mike Woodhauser, Budhauser, who also won a championship too. But after just the piss poor performance of the Bucks in their playoff series, he is also out of the house. And now we have Monty Williams at the end here. Right? He had a lot of great weapons at his fingertips he built a great team in this uh in phoenix there but at the end of the day was booker and even with booker and durant they still lost to the resurgent denver nuggets there uh in yet another blowout blowout game was that a game seven though that was a game six i believe there it was a game six (laughs) yeah and yet another blowout Another great game where the Suns hit a three down 30 points. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's I, basically, I think, I feel like we're seeing maybe just this year in particular, maybe it's just me, but just coaches who have been very successful with their team is just given a very short lease and fired after a poor playoff series. Yeah, I mean, I think that with Monty Williams, I think there's two things that you keep in mind here. One, He's obviously fallen short of some very 
high expectations for the last few years. Ever since he took the Suns to the NBA Finals, you know, people have been expecting the Suns to be title contenders every year. And he's gotten them to that point where, you know, you can actually consider it. Last year, they had the best record in the NBA. This year, they were fourth best in the West, and they got Kevin Durant at the trade deadline. So you could obviously see, you know, we picked, I picked the Suns to make it to the finals personally. So, you know, obviously the vision was there, but, you know, they've fallen short of expectations these past two years. I think it is a little bit premature, though, to fire him. He's obviously not the best coach when it comes to the playoffs. He's been outcoached by, you know, Jason Kidd, uh, for one, and Budenhoser, who has just been fired. Um, And, you know, it hasn't been the best kind of uh, showing in these postseasons. But, you know, you can also just say that how much can you possibly do at a certain point? Because when you look at that Suns elimination, um, I mean, game six, they were starting, I think, uh, I don't know who it was, but it's like campaign was one of them. Landry Shamit was another one. And it had to be either, you know, Biombo, Craig, or uh, Jock Landale in place of Aiton. But basically, they just had Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and a bunch of scrubs out there. So I don't know how much you can possibly do. I know a part of a coach and what, how good they are is to develop kind of the bench players and make the bench players play well and fit a system. And obviously, that wasn't working. But man, I mean, like, I don't know how much you can do out there with just Kevin Durant and Booker. Like... And I also think Matt Ishibi, uh, Ishiba, the new owner of the Suns, he he probably just wanted a new guy. That's what I'm thinking. Because, like, but like, who else are you going to get that's better than, right, like, Monty Williams right now? Nick Nurse, Mike Budenhauser. <laughs> just do a whole musical chairs with those three teams. I mean, man, like, Coach Bud, I guess. Nick Nurse would be ideal, but I feel like Nurse is a lot better with, like, um, like a young team like the Raptors. He was able to really, like, Turn those young development. players into like good players, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, man. This is weird. Are you have any thoughts, Viv? I mean, pretty much echoing what you guys have to say here, right? There's not really much to say about Monty getting fired. He really was a player development coach, one that really turned the culture around in the Phoenix Suns in the Robert Sarver era, and then going towards Matt Ishbia as a new owner. So he did a very good job at reestablishing, you know, the Suns as a title contender team. You know, Booker became an ascending star and really broke through as an all-NBA type of player under his tenure. So he did a lot of really good things. But as you know, as we've seen with Budenhoser, as we've seen with Nick Nurse, eventually the conclusion reaches its inevitable end. You know, everything's kind of on its course. And this has clearly been the case at Monty Williams. He hasn't really made the proper adjustments is being criticized a lot for his X and O's and not really necessarily being able to adjust as well as the opposing coach. In this case, you know, Michael Malone thoroughly outcoached him. But that's also a byproduct of depth, right? And I think that's a really big question of the series. Um, if Phoenix just had more depth, if Christopher was available, if Aiden were able to step up, what would the series look like, right? And that's the risk that you run with when you have a team that's very top heavy as you saw with the Warriors in 2019 right um, obviously this team is nowhere near the caliber of talent uh, is that 2019 Warriors team in 2017 2018 for that matter too but the point being that you need to have people on the bench that can hold it down when the starters are out 
and or are injured. And clearly this wasn't the case and the Suns were able to falter because of that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think he got kind of a raw deal though at the end there. Yeah, obviously he's not the best coach, but I think that considering what he's done so far, I think that he should definitely see another head coaching opportunity in the near future. Probably, you know, maybe with one of these like fringe contending teams like Toronto. Toronto would be kind of good for him because maybe he could elevate an already promising roster into something a lot more. And it seems like a lot of these coaches so far, it's just like, oh, you know, actually it's crazy because like a lot of these coaches have made it to the finals, honestly. Nick, like you said, Brian, Nick Nurse, Mike Budenhoso, Monty Williams. There's only three head coaches that have made it to the finals with the same team they have right now. And that's Care, Popovich, and Spolstra which is basically the coaching elite right now. So, yeah, expecting I a think lot. For sure. I mean, yeah, for sure, Monty, he's, he's even though he's was fired today, like, he's still definitely proven himself with this young, overall, I think, relatively young Suns team there. He will most definitely have another uh, head coaching opportunity in the wings coming up real soon here. I think last bit, too, also on the whole Suns situation is the whole Aiton, right? He mm-hmm. wanted to be traded, just like he wanted off the team by the end of the season. I think I was reading just before this, right? They were talking about how he and uh, Monty Williams had a really big fight, I think, at the end of the that blowout uh, conference semifinals loss last year. They had a big fight at the end of that. And then, as you mentioned too in the beginning, Matt, he was, Aton was benched for many of these, was benched for the starting lineup in the in this, decide, in this deciding game. He didn't see as much play time, I think, uh, this season. And clearly, he was just having beef with the head coach, too. So perhaps, maybe managing, they perhaps could have seen this as, oh, he's not managing the players as well as he could have been. He's wasting the potential, the opportunity of this young player here. Uh, you know, maybe it's time to find someone else. Yeah, and I think it's mostly an aid to an issue. I feel like any coach is about to have, like any coach in the NBA, they're going to have to run into the aid problem. I don't think it's going to be a Monty feud. I just think A10 has a bad personality right now. But, you know, we'll see how that shakes out. Honestly, I think that if the Suns really want to compete, they're going to have to get rid of Christopher, maybe get rid of A10, because I don't think he's shown the effort. or Like, just a, there's a certain kind of mentality that you need to have in the playoffs to be ready to go and not, you know, be frustrated about playing time. And, you know, you see it in the losers a lot. Like, we talk about, you know, the excellence of, like, players like Iguodala when they came off, like, they were on the bench for, you know, uh, like, the whole season, and then they come off, and then they become, you know, the finals MVP, right? Like, you always hear those players that step up, but there's also a lot of players that just don't step up, and they kind of just make it about themselves. That's why we praise the players that are so selfless in the first place, and Aiton's kind of, like, one of those players that doesn't seem like he has the right mentality uh, to win. Right. So, yeah, as Warriors fans, we kind of take that as granted, right? We saw Curry come off the bench last year when we won uh, the championship, too. I think, you know, other, you know, all the members of the big three uh, here have all been shown they're more than willing to take make sacrifices that could be used for their game. But they take sacrifices for the overall balance of the full team. And that's kind of been the story of the Warriors, right? You know, strengths numbers. And then then you see those situations that, you know, was Aton and other divas in the league out there too your perhaps your Devin bookers your Morant, basically your controversial players and then julius uh, you kind of take yeah exactly and then you take what you have or you know what i'm glad we have the more team focused mentality 
on the Warriors there. Yeah. I mean, Curry came off the bench uh, against Denver last year, and then Draymond came off the bench in the Sacramento series. So, yeah, it's just all about just uh, it's a championship mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of the championship mindset, let's talk about the Golden State Warriors here, the main topic of our uh, discussion. For this we have episode. to talk about it. Hey, man. Look, G, <laughs> G couldn't make it. He basically said, call me when it's football season. Because he <laughs> he didn't want to uh, basketball depresses him once again, and yeah, I get that's it. True. But you we know, don't dodge any smoke over here, you know. Yeah. We three, want all the smoke. We face the fire, man. Yeah, we're down. Doesn't matter. We're here when they lose. We're here when they win. We had a whole podcast last year about them winning yeah. the championship. Now we're here. We're gonna have to talk about their uh, loss here. So let's start things off. The Warriors fell short of their title defense run. They lost in six to the Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron James, 4-2. to two. Um, You know, this is the first uh, Western Conference playoff series that Steve Kerr has lost with the Warriors. This is the first time that the Warriors have never won a home game, I mean a road game, in the playoff series. I think this is the first time in like 28 series, I think. And, you know, overall, it kind of just sums up you know, a very disappointing overall Warriors season. And, you know, when you look back in perspective from the entire kind of start of the season to when they just raised that banner to just now, there was not a really good point in the season at all. If we're being really honest here, I feel like, you know, we've always been talking about, oh, the Warriors are great. You know, they'll just flip the switch. It's going to be fine. But even in those years where they kind of stumbled a little bit and then they just made their way through the playoffs like that. There was some stretches where you could say this was a good team. This was not a good team at all. I think they won like 11 road games in total all season. Two of those were like garbage uh, time ones with, um, at the end of the year where no one was playing their starters. And, you know, there was just like no sense of urgency or, you know, good defense, discipline, focus, and I think that cost them at the end of the series because if you look at the series just in, like, you know, just this series, there was two games that were extremely winnable, right? You had games one and you had games four. And they kind of just blew it at the end because of mental mistakes, right? And I'm not just talking about the Jordan Poole shot, and we'll talk about Jordan Poole in a second, or, you know, the Steph shot at the end of game four. Like, if they just came out a little bit more focused, didn't have as many turnovers, played a little bit better defense, it would never have gotten to a point where, you know, they would be down at the end of that game. They should have been, you know, in a position where they could have won. Even in game three, they were up by, like, 11. And then they just blew it, and they just let the Lakers go on a huge, huge run at the end of the year uh, that just never stopped. So these were, like, really winnable games. But it just goes to show that, you know, you have to have some kind of focus to begin the season. You can't just flip a switch all the time. And, you know, it's not a championship caliber team right now. I think this is just, you know, you had the same championship core, but it's just surrounded by just a lot of, you know, garbage out there. Right? I felt like Steph was really the only one who was consistent all season long. He was the only good player on this team. And then everyone else had some spurts of uh, good fl- uh, play but then really it just didn't end up well at the end 
but I, I, I'm gonna stop talking for a second. You guys, you guys vent some of your frustrations. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, echoing kind of things you've talked about too, right? You know, is, what is this team a championship caliber team? I think myself included, and probably a lot of Warriors fans, fell into a sense of complacency. And I remember thinking to myself during the middle part of the season, ah, we're not looking too good right now, but we're going to flip the switch. We're going to be fine once the playoffs hit, right? Mm-hmm. But now kind of looking back with a bit of hindsight, it's like, yeah, we're amazing at home. But if you literally cannot win games on the road, that's already a big warning sign, a big red flag that something's not all the same with this Warriors team as it was in the past over there. And, you know, some of the key factors here that really glared really ugly at the end here was, you know, the lack of the bench, the lack of support outside of your Curry, outside of Looney trying to specify for rebounds. Everyone else just didn't perform up to par. Uh, The lack of size was a critical factor in this Lakers series. Like, I remember I was watching the first game and it was just like Curry going at it all alone, trying to charge against the likes of, you know, LeBron, AD, and everyone, all the other lanky guys on Lakers. Vanderbilt I think too for us mm-hmm. him he did pretty decent but it was like yeah Curry only you could trust Curry there he'd maybe kick it out to Thompson Thompson would miss go to pool he'd shoot some crazy shot that would make some <laughs> shot <laughs> that just never had a chance and everyone else you know just couldn't score at a winnable rate there so lack of bench lack of support for shooting outside of Curry himself uh and then other factor brought up too, right? You know, we have those young players compared to the older players, right? The new generation, Kuminga, Moody. And Moody, I thought, you know, last year he had some, he was a rookie. He had some nice experience in the playoffs. He did fairly decent for his inexperience. And then, you know, I thought coming to this year, we'd see a lot more Moody Moody minutes. You know, he'd mature a lot as a player, get more opportunities. But throughout the regular season, he was barely played at all, and I was really surprised. And they played more Kuminga, I think, during the regular season. But during the playoffs, they kind of swapped it a bit. Now Kuminga's on the bench. They're playing Moody a little bit more, but kind of out of a need because of how poorly and undisciplined Poole was playing. They kind of just needed to put someone else in there, in which case Moody. Mm-hmm. Uh, which kind of ties back into the whole bench issue. You know, The bench just wasn't as strong this year as it was uh, last year. Uh, but yeah, that was kind of the key things, my takeaways for this season. Uh, you know, just team just wasn't the same as last year. There were a lot of clear or now clear warning signs that this team wasn't going to be as hot. Uh, but yeah, now here we are. We'll have to just see what happens to this team next year, what big changes are made. Yeah, I think that with, you know, the whole Moody and Kuminga thing, I think that's one big problem that the Warriors are facing right now because the two timelines experiment, you know, of you know, getting, you know, younger players in and then hoping that they'll eventually kind of take over the dynasty while the dynasty is still going on. Well, I mean, clearly that hasn't worked right now. It failed. Let's just yeah. call for what it is. It's not really panned out and it probably won't pan out because right now our best and most consistent player is our cornerstone for the future is Moses Moody. And though he's a high floor type of guy, He's not going to be the one that carries the keys after Steph retires, right? So I would just call it for what it is. The Wiseman trade, in my opinion, this season is kind of what solidified that, you know, Joe Lacob's approach for building out the future while staying focused in the present didn't really pan out the way it expected to. And honestly, if you had Wiseman, if he'd really developed it the way that Steve Kerr probably should have given him more time to do so, and if he was able to not have those injuries, obviously those factors are outside of his control. 
But say given that Wiseman were to have developed and to have been able to screen properly and be able to be a viable body in the paint as a defender, that would have really helped a lot of the issues with this Lakers series, with the whole size and everything. And, you know, good teams, you know, the Warriors took a swing and they missed. And it just is what it is. But at the end of the day, you know, the timelines didn't really pan out. And I think this whole offseason, the key gist of what they're going to be focusing on is retain the core, you know, keep the main guys solidified, and just build out win-now players around them currently. I think that developing their youth didn't really work out. And honestly, I'd blame in part of it on Steve Kerr too. I mean, we gave Jonathan Kaminga a lot of runway in the second half of the season after Wiggins went down, yet he completely was gone out of the playoff rotation, and Kaminga was rightfully irked about that. Um, you can complain about that being for a lack of experience. He didn't look too good in the Kings series, and Fox and Monk really pounded him on D. Um, but that's another thing, right? you got to let players play through their mistakes. And, you know, when you're in win-now mode, you can't really afford to give minutes towards a developing young talent. And it that's how the cookie crumbled, and I think that's why we are in the situation we are now. You know, the timeline wasn't able to really develop because, uh, rightfully, we should be focused on winning now. That's a really interesting point you bring up uh, there. You know, kind of like the balance between the core, older veteran players, and then the newer guys too. Like, you know, we, we can still definitely retain. We probably Warriors fans do want to retain the big three uh, for next year. But how much longer can you keep doing that? How much longer can this can this uh, veteran group that has gotten so far for the last six years or so keep on going? You know, I think, you know, if you scrutinize, you know, Curry, Thompson, Green a bit, you know, Curry, of course, is going to be safe. He's still playing at a very high level, but just clearly needs the support. Green, you know, he can still do his job. He's so amazing at defense, but definitely in some of the key moments, especially like game one, you know, his natural uh, or his, I guess his instigation abilities, I'm lacking the right words, right? He's always in the referee's ear. He's always, you know, causing the fouls. Uh, and that probably was a factor in that close in these close games in the playoffs. That has been a factor there. And as he as he gets older, maybe we'll see how that develops. But then I think you know, I'm seeing a lot more out there for like Thompson on the hot seat, especially definitely with this playoff, with this these playoff series, right? These last couple games, they people have already put Game Six Clay in the coffin, buried him six feet deep. Feels like that tale might have gone run its course there. But I mean, Thompson's regular season, he did. A lot better this year than last year. Uh, this year, I think he averaged more than like 20 points per game in the regular season. So Thompson looked good in the regular season, but come playoff Let time, the NBA he kind of just... Too. Yeah, he kind of just... Yeah, exactly. And then he just kind of just went on a big cold streak. And then now people are questioning him now. Yeah, I don't think Clay's washed. I think that he's just a little bit less consistent than he was. Gives That's uh, it's a matter of age. And, um, you know, maybe he hasn't had his legs kind of all, you know, there yet because I know that this is the first kind of full season he's had to have since the injury. So maybe that has to do with um, why kind of maybe his shots fell short or something like that. I don't want to speculate because I don't know. Um, But I think that, you know, the dynasty is alive as long as Steph Curry is there, right? Draymond, Clay, yes, you, I think they'll keep him, and I think that they should keep him. I don't think that, you know, the only real piece that I think matters here is Steph. And 
you know, the offense is built around Steph. The whole team is built around Steph. And when you have to play Steph 45 out of 48 minutes in these playoff series, and then it's every day, like, um, you know, every other day, you know, it's just not going to work. It's not viable anymore. He's 34, I want to say. So, like... 35. 35. That's even worse, right? So, you can't keep doing that. You know, he is a remarkable specimen. He has amazing stamina, right? But there's a certain point where you can... Yeah. You, there's a certain point where you can't just say, oh, you know, Steph, we're going to need you to bail us out again, right? And you can't do that every game. And then you can't have him play seven game series in the first two rounds, right? Like, it's just not going to work. And I think that, you know, we could have, like, back to the bench here, you got a couple of young players here. Kuminga, you got Moody. Moody, I think, you just keep him. He's always ready. Like, he's one of those guys, again, he just stayed ready, and he just performed every time. I didn't see a single, like, bad Moody game, right, in the playoffs. Like, he wasn't, like, a big factor in, like, the losses, and he contributed in the wins kuminga i can understand maybe why he didn't see as many minutes because of the processing like sometimes the game seems a little too fast for him but i also think that that's because we didn't play him as much in the regular season and that goes on care because like why are you playing anthony lamb for like you know 10 20 minutes every game and he didn't really contribute too much to wins i want i'd rather see kuminga and like stick by him even when he makes a mistake because Kara has a quick, you know, he has a quick hook when a rookie makes a mistake. He just kind of really just takes him out. And it's like, how are you ever going to learn from that? Like, I get, like, we have to win because we barely made the playoffs. But you got to get some young guys because these young guys are going to be able to contribute more than Anthony Lamb, who only saw garbage time minutes throughout the entire playoffs, and rightfully so. So it's like, why why do we even do that? Like, what was the point of that? So, you know, I, I do question Karen why he uh, is doing this whole development thing. Because if you are going to stick to a two timelines philosophy, then you better have a coach who knows how to do that. Because it doesn't seem like he really wanted to do that at all. And, you know, also, it also has to do with the bench. Because you saw that, you know, Moody and Kuminga, they got their time in the championship run. But that's also because we had Nemanja Bielitsa, we had Otto Porter, we had Gary Payton the whole year, right? And then, you know, we're, we're ducking around the obvious thing here, and let's just talk about it. You know, Jordan Poole, right? Are oh, we, boy. Are you ready? Are you ready? Here we come. Let's hear <laughs> it. Let's hear it. talk about him now? Yeah. So, I mean, anyone have anything to say before I get started? <laughs> yeah. How much was his contract again? Like hundred something million, almost hundred five million for like four years, an exorbitant amount. Like you know, he was amazing last year. He was almost the best player on the court last year. So I can see why, in hindsight, seems like a knee jerk reaction of the Warriors to just drop him the bag right after that. But he really just showed so much skill and promise in the championship run and played with all of the vet crew, the big three in uh that in that championship series. But then I mean, this year he's just not been it at all he has been clowned around all over twitter all over reddit he's got memes made everywhere about him you know the baddies they weren't on court side this year uh he he's just tossing up shots out there and committing still the same mistakes we saw last year but worse it seems like more uh less disciplined with uh less disciplined with the ball his defense people are saying it looks even worse than last year 
Uh, he's really just kind of all over the place, too. Uh, and then there's also the question, too, of the whole way back to the start of the season, right? The Draymond pool incident. How much does that reflect on this season? And how is that going to, well, does that mean pool is for sure out for this next coming season? What are you guys' thoughts on pool? Okay, well, first of all, Jordan Pool signed a four-year, $128 million contract. Uh-oh. So, you know, $123 million guaranteed, $32 million average salary. <laughs> he has the <laughs> highest cap hit other than Curry on the Warriors currently. So, uh, okay, there's that. So, uh, a year ago, almost to this very day, I apologize to Jordan Poole uh, because I thought he was a very disappointing player and he was a bust. And I apologize because he proved me wrong. And this year, I am rescinding that <laughs> apology. And, You're smoking you know, that pack. <laughs> we're, back, we're back on Jordan Poole hate train because, well, I mean, there's only two ways I see it. One, I'm right and Jordan Poole sucks. Two, I jinx it again and Jordan Poole becomes a good player. Either way, I'm okay with the outcome here because it's just like I want Jordan Poole to be successful because I want the Warriors to be successful. But man, it's it's been a long season and I haven't seen the progress, right? Honestly, I've seen a regression from Jordan and it's bad because, you know, you saw it in the regular season too and maybe even last year, you could see some of the defensive lapses. Jordan has never been a good defensive player. First of all, he's not been very focused and I think he's way too prone to kind of, you know, just taking the foul instead of actually kind of uh, defending the ball. And he's had some lapses off ball that Draymond usually has to cover for. That's why they usually pair Draymond and Poole in the same lineup so that Draymond can kind of uh, make up for some of the defensive. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. So Poole has never been a good defensive player. We get that. We knew that coming into the season. You, the bad part is that his offense has completely regressed to a point where it's just like, you know, it's like really bad. It's just like there's no way to describe it. He doesn't shoot it's well. It's not good. He over dribbles. He gets the ball. He does his inside out move, holds it for like three or four seconds. Usually whenever that happens, he tries to go for a drive. If there's no opening, he just passes it out around the arc. That's really all there is to it with this play these days. It's very much a script that Chad GPT can write itself and probably can draw plays better than Jordan Poole can with his head at this point. And look, let's let's be honest over here. The punch did have a major effect on this whole season. There were broad ramifications on what it meant for the future of this team. The schism between the championship core, uh, you know, with Draymond Green and a cornerstone key piece of the future, which was Jordan Poole. You know, there was definitely a divide that grew further because there already was a divide in the locker room between the veterans and the young players and that just only grew over time and Draymond Green even said it himself he couldn't really have the leverage and the credibility to be a voice and to step up defensively and that definitely reared its end on the first half of the season and even though over the time you know Draymond started finding his voice again you know it still was too little too late because when you have a punch that gets leaked like that, when someone gets thoroughly embarrassed on national media, when it's the talking point that goes, frankly, beyond the media circus that was the KD and Draymond debate when they were fighting on the sidelines in that one Sixers uh, Clippers game in the regular season, 
you know that you have a whole circus at hand over there and they just couldn't overcome it and to be quite frank i know that jordan Poole didn't play well he regressed in almost every major statistical category uh there's a couple things to consider here a he's now being scouted at he's at, at near the top of the scouting report especially when stuff was gone for the vast majority of the season you know teams knew how to scheme for Poole. he was you know getting the team's best defender on him whereas with last season you know he didn't really get the team's best defender or a lockdown perimeter defender, at least the opposing team's best perimeter defender on him most times. So he has to deal with the adjustment to, you know, defense is king in on him. The second thing, though, is that obviously mentally he'd be extremely affected by it. Like, I'm not trying to play armchair psychologist, but sure. when all eyes are on you, you know, when you're expected to play big role in this team, and that too, when your role is kind of at flux because you're kind of being jettisoned between being the bench player and being the starter, it's really hard for you to get a rhythm. And, uh, you know, look, Jordan Poole is a flawed player, but he's also an extremely talented player. And I really do think that something might have been affecting him mentally. And I think that's a factor that we all can probably acknowledge that something was happening beneath the scenes that we still don't know about. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I don't think we can overlook the punch as a big, you know, as a a small kind of thing to the Warriors season. Obviously, when you start a season like that, it doesn't bode well, unless, I guess, you're Claire and Jordan. But, you know, those are two legends. Yeah, I, I've just always been worried about kind of Poole's kind of decision-making on the court because it sometimes just feels like he's moving too fast for what he's processing out there and I think that you know I, I always felt like you know the shot selection has always been kind of bad and it was really bad his rookie season that's why you know initially totally labeled him a bust so I think yeah. like it, I think it just has to do with like Poole's really gotta go back to what made him successful in Santa Cruz I guess because like I feel like he has to just go back to the basics because I think that you know also you know given the punch I think that the expectations became high again for him. And I think he was trying to live up to those expectations. Because back, you know, in last year and the year even before that, when he started to kind of rise, you know, he, there's no expectations on him anymore. Like he was a borderline, oh, we could cut him or he's going to go to free agency, whatever. We don't care. And then, you know, I felt like he really shined in that kind of uh, role. And then when he took over for Steph, obviously no one can compare to Steph. But, you know, Poole kind of did his best to shine and, you know, do as much as he could. But I think this year he kind of just played a little bit out of control. He wasn't really, you know, thinking. And, you know, it felt like every time he was he had the ball, he was just looking to score. And it didn't seem like like all the defenders could just key in on him because they knew he wasn't going to really pass that thing. Because he was just like, and, oh, God, also... You know, have you noticed that he keeps jerking? Like, he keeps trying to foul bait, and it kind of pisses me off. Like, I don't and know. He's going to playing to the refs after, too. Yeah, it kind of, I don't it's think he did habit. that before. But it's like, yeah, I, that that was frustrating. But I felt like, you know, he, he just needs to think a little bit more out there. And I think that he, yeah, it's just bad because you're expecting Poole out there to kind of just just be like a net neutral because we again we know his defense isn't great so he usually makes up for that in offense but this year he just didn't do that the last five games of the series 
guess what his shooting percentage from three was ever since he took 21 percent yeah 21 percent i'm guessing 21 percent is it lower six percent no no he made one three Bro, pointer in game off. five even it. one-legged chris paul it? can shoot better oh my god or sorry christopher Jeez. my god I, yeah dude, because i saw it. that i saw it on like some like tweet and i looked it up because i i couldn't believe it yeah it's six percent that's just crazy it's i mean it sounds like he just he just thinks he's him after one year oh i got the bag i got the championship i can do whatever i want but then, you know, teams have wisened up to him. They're going to game plan for him. And, you know, he's, he sounds like he might be crumbling a bit. He just isn't performing as well for that. And I, was, I think the more I think about it, the more I feel like we're not going to see him on the Warriors next year. I feel like, you know, he's still relative. He's still very young. He's still like 23 or something. I think, and given the fact that, you know, if we talk about the ramifications of the punch, Draymond is going to be on the team. We're not going to choose Pool versus Draymond, right? Draymond's going to stay on the yeah, team. So probably, yeah. maybe... Pool looks for greener pastures, maybe somewhere. Maybe he can, she can try to be a star on a on the worst team, kind of like your your Charlottes, your Pistons. Or I feel like I can see him if he goes to a team that has a coach that's good at developing this type of you know disorganized young talent there, young hotshot. If he goes to a team that is maybe like like a playoff like a contention playoff caliber team, and they have a good coach that can maybe develop him better uh develop him a bit more i can see him becoming maybe next year a pretty good kind of a more solid role player and basically he i think he's gonna look elsewhere uh for better options for kind of a new start and yeah he's so young for that yeah i mean we haven't heard any rumors like we have at kuminga who seems like he's clearly unhappy with the warriors and uh, but i think pool like i think there's just two things like the contract didn't even hit yet so like now we're in first year of the contract and now he has a huge cap hit so when you have that huge cap hit you basically expect him to be a huge contributor and we can't we don't know if that's going to happen right it it seems like once we relied on pool this year it just didn't happen and that kind of led to a lot of the troubles this year because when you didn't have that reliable presence on the bench to support Steph and clay even when wiggins was gone right we needed that kind of scoring threat and pool wasn't very consistent like, I don't think you can run that back and be like, okay, Poole's going to be our sixth man again. Like, we're going to need some bench players, but if we but we can't get bench players if, you know, we have that contract. So I think, like, I think we're going to try to ship Poole out. I think we're going to shop him around. I don't think it might not be necessarily successful because, I mean, I don't know how many teams really want Jordan Poole after, like, his worst year and with that contract now hitting. So I think that, you know, the only way he stays on is basically if, you know, either Steve Kerr basically says, I want Poole back on this team, or we literally can't find any other trade for Poole. So I think that's just how it's going to work. Um, I mean, I guess I'd be okay if he came back. I don't know if, how much hope I'd have. I, I really hope he does well, but, you know, I just don't know. The expectations are low at this point. Um, it is what it is. Yeah, I think that the Warriors are going to explore and ship, shop him around, but don't expect the trade to necessarily materialize unless you can get a win-now type of player. I think there is the one win-now player that I could think of that we could get was like OG Ananobi, but during the mm. trade deadline, Masai Ujiri wanted Kaminga and like two or three first-round picks for him. So yeah. the price is going to be kind of steep. 
And also consider the fact that district free agency class is pretty bad. So there's a lot of leverage that opposing teams can use because of that in order to extract a lot of value out of the Warriors. They wanted to make a trade. So I expect that, you know, whoever the GM is, hopefully it will be Bob Myers. We can talk about that soon, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. Whoever the GM is, whoever the front office is, wh- whatever Steve Kerr wants to do, um, hopefully we are able to, you know, the ideal best case scenario is Jordan Poole just bounces back, you know, knock the series an aberration. It's a growing pain. All young players have times and rough stretches in their career. No one is really immune to it. It's a growing pain, especially when Jordan Poole has only recently emerged as a star caliber level talent in the NBA. You know, he can be a 20 points per game player in the NBA easy. I think that's what he averaged this year with the Warriors, no? Like something very close to that figure. So the point is that, like, at the end of the day, Jordan Poole, despite all of his flaws, despite, in my opinion, being one of the worst defenders to ever play in the NBA, <laughs> um, he is immensely talented offensively. And you don't really find that level of talent from the dirt, you know? So there, will, there would be a lot of teams that are interested in reclaiming him as a project. Not really out of this level of contract, but the point being that we don't win the championship last year without Jordan and I think that NFL itself is enough reason to give him one more chance and hopefully see what we can get out of him because now everyone's honest breathing down his neck there's a chip on his shoulder and he's been a hard worker in the past he almost got kicked out of the league for being basically the worst player in the NBA and he was a key contributor to the Warriors championship and you know when adversity comes when worst comes worst let's see what Jordan Poole can do next season yep Contract kicks in now, Jordan. You have to play like it. So He's on the clock, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got to earn your money. Earn that bag. All right, let's talk about what the Warriors need to do other than Jordan Poole to kind of fix this and just ensure that the dynasty kind of goes on. I think the first thing we got to figure out is obviously Bob Myers. And I it's it seems like Bob Myers is given like a contract offer, but I think that it's just a matter of whether he wants to do that anymore and obviously i think that you know everyone's starting to podcast these days i don't know what it is maybe it's just us like we've inspired so many uh people to start podcasts but he has his own podcast and it seems like he has a lot of very interesting like people not necessarily all nba i'm pretty sure um so i i just wonder what you know i think he might be ready for another stage in his career or just in his life right now because i feel like the only like it can only get worse for him as a GM and his legacy here because, you know, he's won his fourth championship and now he's got to deal with, you know, Poole. He's got to deal with the two timelines. He's got to deal with Draymond and Clay's extensions. So I just wonder whether he's actually going to come back. I mean, I feel like, I mean, he's had so much success here uh, with the words. He really made a name for himself. So perhaps maybe it's just how long has he been uh, the the GM now? Uh, it's been at least like 10 years. Yeah. It, right at the 10 year, right? Just a little over 10 years. And he's seen a lot of success with uh, the Warriors. So, whether, you know, after 10 years, it's time to hunt for the next opportunity or move on, you know, that's all up to Myers, of course. But from just my perspective, you know, even with, you know, we not us finally, or even with the Warriors not winning the championship this year, right? There's still, uh, there's so much, still so much that you to do here. Sign the next big player or the next great contract to get the Warriors back into it but 
maybe there's some internal things he's considering too. But basically, I think he, I don't personally don't see a reason why he would kind of leave outside of, you know, I've done this job here for a long enough time now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that he, if he's going to leave, I think he doesn't take any other positions. I think he's just going to leave the whole uh, sport, honestly, and he's just going to find a new uh, career path. I feel like that's what he's going to He was a former agent. So, you know, I definitely think that can happen. Yeah, I think that Bob Myers might want to just be chasing Joe Rogan more than Jerry Krause at this point, <laughs> you know. So whatever he wants to do, you know, he's earned a blank check in my eyes in terms of the goodwill he built with this team. He's one of the all-time great GMs, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. You know, wish him nothing but the best. And would long pull is his internal decision. And, you know, wherever he decides to do, the Warriors will have to adjust accordingly. But, you know, Draymond is a very big fan of Myers. Uh, Katie was also a very big fan of Myers, too. He's developed a great, great relationship with the players, someone that's able to connect the front office and the team of athletes themselves. And that's a very underrated and valuable skill that only a few GMs have. You know, most GMs kind of treat the team it's just like NBA 2K, my roster, where everything is just abstracted and impersonal. But Bob Myers has that human element to it, being a former agent himself. And, you know, his work speaks to his resume and his capacity for being a GM and being a leader of people. And which nothing but the best, whatever he decides to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he got us to where he uh, we are today. And, you know he deserves everything like if he wanted to walk away right now if i was in his position i'd probably walk away right now yeah this is it's not gonna get much better than this to be quite honest yeah okay so i mean in terms of the team i think it's just pretty simple like we don't need to go into specifics here just get steph some help like that's literally it like i don't care what you have to do like the only safe players i assume are just curry wiggins and looney and then you got Clay and Dre as well. At rest, I don't care. Like, you know, you got to you gotta do what you got to do. Peyton, I think, like, is fine. Moody is fine. Like, I don't think they're going to, like, completely upturn the roster because that's just not what the Warriors do. But, you know, if your bench is getting outscored by Malik Monk and Lonnie Walker, you know, in playoff series, you got to, like, you really got to shape things up. Seth can't do everything. I, I hope, you know, we can get DiVincenzo back. But, you know... If you know, because we don't have a really again, like you said, Viv, it's a very poor kind of free agency class. So I think DiVincenzo would be good to have back. Peyton would be good for defense, and then it just comes to a matter of like who's going to score off the bench. Like it would be good to have an auto porter, but he already opted back into his contract. I don't think he even played really last year. So he didn't. No. Yeah. So it'd be really good to have like a f- stretch kind of forward big, like a four or five. Um, Jermichael Green was ass, so you know we just don't bring him back. Yeah, that's a hard pass right there. <laughs> yeah, one and Green it, that's a headache is enough. Honestly, <laughs> we don't need yeah. to. He so had that pretty, one game, but it was a gimmick. Yeah, it was he he tricked us? But it's a matter of like Kuminga, and I think if Kuminga returns, I think you see him as a three, but then then you need basically a four or five, right? So if Kuminga can assume the auto porter role of just being that kind of forward, then you need like another guy who can kind of stretch the floor, like a Bielitsa, who is massively underrated to the championship roster. 
like we we didn't have a single other big other than Looney and Green, right? Because Jermichael Green was so bad, and then we traded Wiseman away. So Peyton was basically our other kind of five. So I mean, I don't know. We we probably have to look around. Yeah, and Peyton's six two, and he has the hops. He can bat the ball away from seven feet tall people like Sabanis, but you know, <laughs> size is size is the reality. We kind of saw that unfortunately with the Lakers series, right? Size is still a reality and you know you have all the skills and speed out there but and that's been the story of the Warriors each year I feel like it's this thing even though we win the championship it's like we need another big we need another like you know forward that has the, the, the length and the wingspan to uh support the team I if you could, can't if think you could top bring, my head would be good but yeah if you could bring a guy that could get AD out of the paint like that's all you need right there and obviously that's a you know big task right no one can really get AD out of the paint. But if you just had someone like a Jermichael Green who would, you know, like the reason why Jermichael Green was so successful is because they didn't defend him from three. They made him pay. But then he didn't make him pay later, right? And But when he did, it would bring AD out of the paint and then it would allow all the other offense to get in motion. So it would be really good if you could get kind of that stretch big out there. I don't really know who it's going to be, but... <laughs> God, I actually have an idea. Uh, you know, looking for a big. It sounds like we're looking for a bigger player who can likes to shoot threes a bit. You know, outside the rim. There, I think uh, Joel Embiid might be testing for you. I think we can bring him on the Warriors. Crazy. He likes to shoot. He doesn't like contact and going in. We'll we'll just plug Embiid in easy. Send Pool. <laughs> Kuminga to yeah. the seventy sixes for Embiid. The trade machine says that Kuminga, Pool, Moody, and Patrick Baldwin for Embiid works in terms of salary. So I guess, you know, I guess we could send them over, get the Under Armour bros back together. As long as James Harden doesn't come in that deal, I'm okay with it. James Harden, God. I mean, honestly, Embiid did not do well either, but I'll still take him. Hell, it's okay. Let Curry do everything, I guess. Embiid just has to play the regular season. You know, Brooke Lopez is a free agent this year. I, I don't Brooke think Lopez is going to command a pretty penny, though. But yeah. He had a it's great hard. season. It's so hard. DPOY candidate, you know, all NBA defense first team. I mean, him, Giannis, and Drew, all in the Bucks, were all NBA first team. Or actually, yeah, no, they're all, they're all NBA all defense teams. And they yeah. still have lost. That's yeah. pretty crazy, honestly. Because uh, they were facing see. the cycle pass known as Jimmy Butler. <laughs> Jimmy Buckets, he's him, bro. Really. There's this guy from the Grizzlies who's uh who's a free agent this year. Uh, oh, I heard this... he's going to the Shanghai Sharks. Yeah, or the Ling Ling Flying Leopards. Our, uh, our podcaster. <laughs> God, I mean, honestly, like there's there's some good guy, there's some decent pl- players out there. I wouldn't be surprised if we signed Mason Plumley. He's a free agent this year. I wouldn't be surprised. He's a good passing big. Does he shoot? He does not. <laughs> of course not. I would not be surprised. The Warriors are trying to go for Kevin Love at one point. Kevin Love would be interesting. He's kind of old, but, you know. He's old, but he stretches the floor and warps it enough. And he's a good passer. And he is a good really passer. Really good passer. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens, but I'm very eager, and I really hope that this will be a very aggressive offseason because I think it's more clear than ever that they have the ability to win now i was okay with the two timelines because i didn't know whether we could still win 
after you know the clay injuries the durant leaving all that but i mean steph is still just as good as he was like nine years ago right honestly better yeah even better probably with the strength and the intelligence he has like they can win number five just it's make definitely sure feasible. We just need to retool the roster around some core players. And I think by all means, you know, according to a lot of reports that are circling out there, everyone kind of knows that winning number five is feasible and they are going to work really hard this offseason to make sure that we have a roster that's capable of going all in and winning it all. So looking forward to it. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, and it's nice to say, oh, you know, it's okay. We have four rings. We'll always have 2022. And that's what I kind of felt at the beginning of the season. No, no, fuck that. Just win as many nah. as you can right now. Like, I don't care. You can't like, be complacent with it. Like, look, I love Clay, but, like, p- spelling out four rings, like, that only buys you so much goodwill at a certain point, you know? This league and sports in general isn't about what you've done for me in the past. It's more so about what you can do for me in the present moment. Yeah. And, and it's right hard now, to, they have to stay locked in. Yeah, it's hard to feel not spoiled because, you know, 10 years ago, you could just say, like, the Warriors were the worst franchise, honestly, right? And it's hard totally. to feel like, oh, you know, I want more, I want more. And, like, I kind of hated that from our fans sometimes because it's just like, God, you know, we were terrible. We had, But now we have four championships, one of, one of the greatest dynasties ever. And, you know, you're just always saying, oh, Bob, Myers should be fired. Joe Lacob is the worst owner. Steve Kerr is a terrorist, right? It's just like, like it's a knee jerk reaction. Yeah, we're not like Yankees fans or Lakers fans out there. Like, come on. But I also see the point where it's just like, you gotta do what you can right now because this doesn't last forever, right? Like this moment is all the Warriors have. Like Steph Curry will retire someday. You know, the mm-hmm. big three, the dynasty will re- end. It's an inevitability. Like, these players aren't going to last forever. And they've been around for so long that people kind of take them for granted. But you need to appreciate the moment for what it is. And look, you know, back in the day, we were rooting for Monte Ellis and Andres Patrons. And we've come a long way from that. But the reward for all that hard work paying off is just more hard work to be put in and toiled at now and in the future. And so I really do think that the Warriors aren't going to roll over and just accept that the dynasty is over. Let's just go and get as much as we can while we have the moment. And I agree with you, Matt, on everything you said about that. Yep. Okay. Let's just do a quick conference finals preview. I know we probably don't care about the playoffs anymore after this, but you know, we gotta, we just gotta talk about it. (sighs) All right. Let's start with the East. It's a rematch of last year's uh, Eastern conference finals. And also the bubble finals or whatever. Heat, Celtics, right? Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, who just put up 51 points in a game seven, broke Steph Curry's record in two weeks. Thanks for that. But, you know, it's funny. Jason Tatum also broke Steph Curry's uh, all-star game record that he committed last year. Like, I think Curry had the record last year and then Tatum broke it this year. I don't know what it is, but maybe he's still mad. But, you know. Talk to you when Tatum breaks the finals record. That's that pass. <laughs> Let's see Tatum win one if he can. I like Tatum. Like I don't mind Tatum as a player. Honestly, like it's just Boston. Boston's kind of a uh, you know annoying. <laughs> Boston's yeah. an annoying fan base. I mean, they expect a lot from Tatum. I remember Tatum was being torn to shreds last year after we beat them. It was Boston was literally saying like, "Ah, oh, 
get this guy out of here, maybe. You know, he's, he doesn't have it in him to win a championship. But, I mean, this Game 7 probably put a lot of his haters to bed, at least for a little bit. He's uh, going up against, well, the Heat and Butler. My take on this Pete Celtics uh, rematch here is that, like, well, I mean, it's, like, I forgot what seed the Celtics are, but the Heat are, like, the eighth seed. And then it's literally Jimmy Butler carrying a massive backpack of the rest of the team, like, big time there and i'm sure it was the first two series we doubted him at each time okay yeah there's no way butler can carry that hard with this level of talent against these amazing teams out there but he's proven the haters wrong every time does he have another miracle in him against the celtics is his leg gonna heal in time for that we'll see uh but i mean butler has shown time and time again he's has the grit and competitive spirit in these playoffs to just go off and carry I think the only weakness for the Celtics is that they don't really have an offensive game plan sometimes. And it seems like Joe Missoula, like G brought it up um, in the last episode, like there are, are some concerns about Joe Missoula because it doesn't seem like he really is kind of like the kind of uh, coaching uh, planning kind of guy like Ime Udoka was. Like I think Marcus Smart even admitted they don't really have an offensive playbook really sometimes they just do their own thing and sometimes it leads to a lot of you know beautiful basketball by Tatum and you know Brown and Smart sometimes it leads to stretches where they don't know what they're doing at all and it's just really inconsistent so it really just I think it's going to come to a matter of like the only way the the Heat I think are going to win against a much more talented Celtics team because I think the Celtics should win this but the only way that the Heat can win this is that you know, Spolstra basically outcoaches Missoula, and you know they take advantage of a, too many inconsistencies by the Celtics. And just Butler has to just stay on top of things every time. And they still have to get all those performances from Vincent and Struess and Duncan Robinson, just all these undrafted players. So it's a it's it's a tough stretch, but I don't know. Yeah, it's a tall task, but I do expect that Eric Spolstra who, in my opinion, is the best coach in the league, given what he's been able to accomplish consistently for so many years now. Um, he will outcoach Joe Mazzullo, the first-time head coach. But it's a lot to ask out of Jimmy Butler, you know, let alone, you know, like you said, Vincent Struess, Dunk. Um, I don't know if Hero's coming back this series, but perhaps it's no. a possibility. Oh, he isn't? Okay. Finals Still out least. for that? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, there we go. And also, yeah, Bam and Lowry have to keep on playing like they have been playing, you know. Bam's been a bit inconsistent, but he's been on the upswing lately. And Kyle Lowry's been having a good playoffs overall. So, you know, I think that all of them really have to step up and bring their A game to beat perhaps the deepest team in the league in the Celtics. And, yeah, it's not going to be easy, especially if Jason Tatum is able to stay remain consistent. Like, when he's on fire, you know, he can do damage, and we saw it with this game today. And, you know, him and JB can just take turns going off, and that's a scary duo. And they've been to the finals before. You know, they've won the conference finals before against them. Like, there's there's definitely a possibility that, you know, the Celtics just have too much of an inherent upper hand that this series should just be an expected closeout by them in, like, five or even five games. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to go with the Celtics in six here. Uh, what do you think, Bryant? Uh, I really want to see good coaching win, and I'm all on this 
Jimmy Butler's insane hype train, man. I want to see them win, man. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Oh, I'm going to go 4-3 Heat. Oh, seven, huh? Heat in seven? Man. Interesting. Or maybe four. Oh, actually, well, actually, wait. Yeah, game for the Heat, if they're the, so game six would be home for them. They would have to win two. Can they win two in Boston, basically? Uh, Never mind, 4-2, 4-2. Heat in six? Heat in six, man. Heat in six. I want to see good coaching win. Oh man, okay. And Viv, you said what? Celtics. I got Celtics at five. Oh man, okay. Yeah, I I could definitely see that. I think they could drop. I didn't think they'd go to seven against the Sixers, but yeah. By the way, we didn't cover the Sixers. You know what it is. You know what it is. <sighs> we don't need to do it. Something's just something to be said, you know. Yeah. Harden, Joel. Something are the same, like Doc Rivers in Game 7. He's not Doc anymore. He's just Glenn. He's Glenn <laughs> Rivers. <laughs> he doesn't have a PhD. He didn't go to medical school. He's just Glenn. He has one championship carrying his entire legacy. Like and that is even that. Even, 15 years And ago. even that is dying. Yeah, even that's rotting up. Okay. Nuggets Lakers. Western Conference Finals of the bubble, the one that doesn't count. Um, let's go with, you know, Jokic, the not MVP this year, but the two-time MVP ever since the bubble years. I mean, this should be a really good battle. I think the Nuggets are a very complete team. I think the Lakers are a little bit closer than people think in terms of, you know, composition of team because they've got they had a lot of bench players that have been able to go off in Achimura and Lonnie Walker. Um, I'm blanking, but I, there's another one. I, I'm I easily built shooter. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I think this is going to be a good matchup. It could go a long way, but I think that the biggest thing that we're going to talk about here is just you know, in terms of player matchup, I think it's just AD versus Jokic. I mean, it's just. There's no comparison. You know LeBron's going to have some games and Murray's going to have some games, hopefully. You know, we're not sure. Like, maybe playoff Murray, this is going to be a huge test for him. But it's really just going to be whether Jokic, you know, AD can guard Jokic. And then more specifically, I don't know if Jokic can guard AD. See, that's the, that's the troubling part to me. Because I don't... I'm still wary of Jokic's defense. And honestly, as a whole, I don't know about Denver's defense in general. Like, that's what I'm concerned about for Denver, at least. Their perimeter defense has been pretty, pretty good, you know, with, I mean, AG's been doing a good job, Bruce Brown, KCP's been doing a solid job too, you know. Even Braun is pretty solid for a guard. But, I mean, the bigger point is, you know, you have to kind of throw those guys in a rotation, and play all of them on AD. I mean, Jokic can play AD straight up, but I think that given the physicality restraints that Jokic does have, I think AD wins that matchup more times often than not. But also, you got to factor in AD's inconsistency and Jokic's ability to just be to able to be able to stretch the floor and open up the offense for other people. So you force AD out on offense or on him playing defense, and then. It just creates so much passing lanes and space, and that's classic Denver Nuggets offense right there, right? So I think that both teams have opportunities to play their strengths in the series, and they're both very complete and composite teams. And you'll be able to see both teams executing their game plans on a high level 
And I don't think that one team will necessarily disrupt the other team's flow and style of gameplay uh, compared to Lakers Warriors, whereas, you know, the Lakers length and size and ability to hound players in both the paint and the perimeter just disrupted the motion offense completely. So I think this is going to be a really great series. It's going to be really interesting to watch. And as far as predictions go, uh, to answer your original question, Matt, I do think the Nuggets perhaps have enough defense to mitigate AD. There's no completely stopping Anthony Davis. Let's make that very clear. Um, he's just that good of a player. But the Nuggets can do enough on offense and have enough defensive firepower under perimeter to you know damage, mitigate the damage from other sides on the offensive ball for the Lakers. So I think that I'm going to give the Nuggets an edge in this series, and it's going to be a very long one. I'm going to say Nuggets in seven. All right. Um, I think it's a matter of just two things in terms of just teams, not just player matchups. The pace of the Lakers versus the pace of the Nuggets. If the Nuggets can get out and run, Lakers transition defense is terrible, but their half-court defense is great. And if the Nuggets can get out and run, basically, and just, you know, stop AD and then get the board, Jokic passes it down, and then, you know, you just get a quick bucket, like, I think they can do this, but, you know, the worry is that AD gets Jokic in foul trouble, gets to the free throw line, then gets their defense set. You know, if the Lakers make it a parade to the free throw line, like they usually do, like, it just helps their defense, right? It helps their defense because they don't have to run back. And I that's the concern here. So it's like free throw disparity as well as the pace of the game. And I think they're basically correlated with each other. I don't know how that's going to turn out. I'm not saying that the Lakers are going to, you know, make it a free throw parade. But I think that, you know, if the Nuggets should do as much as they can to just keep running, running and running. Because, again, this is an every other day uh, schedule, which means that, you know, they're going to be tired. LeBron is 38. <laughs> and, you know, AD doesn't, like, he'll get fatigued at some point. He had a bad game um, in game two because I, I think, honestly, he was kind of tired at that point. So, you know, I think they really need to wear out the Lakers in order to win. And it will also help because the transition the transition defense will be bad, right? The more tired they are. So, you know, I think the Nuggets, what they need to do is just keep pushing it. What the Lakers need to do is just make sure that Jokic doesn't find kind of the open guy. And just AD has to just shut down Jokic and then the rest will follow. Like, I'm going to go with the Lakers in six because I think that Again, I'm worried about how AD and Jokic, that matchup is going to turn out. I think AD is going to... I think <laughs> I don't think Jokic can stop AD. I don't know if who who's going to be on AD. It could be Aaron Gordon. But then you're going to have Michael Porter on LeBron. And I don't think that's going to be good. So I'll go with the Lakers in six. Um, I just think that they have a good enough team... And if they just steal one at Denver, I think it's going to be concerning at that point. I think they could just take it. So I think that it's just, I don't know about Denver. I don't know about that defense. So I'm just concerned about that. Yeah. And yeah. that's a really, and that's a really valid question too. And that's something I were thinking about too, was, you know, this series panning out because my knee jerk reaction was, Oh, Denver is in great form. They've been killing it out there. It really seems like it's their year. They're firing off on all cylinders. They look great. 
And I thought, well, same thing for the Lakers too, you know. They've they've had been in great form recently too. And then we saw what happened in the Warriors series, right? All of their bench pieces can have their night when they go off, right? Your your Schroeders, your D'Lo's, your Hachimura's, they can all play pivotal factors. They have all these different, basically, the Lakers have all these different assets at their disposal that they could use per game. So I feel like the Lakers are going to be, they have more of that flexibility aspect. Um, and although I've always been kind of doubter, like doubting the Nuggets a bit too, because I feel like, you know, their entire team runs through Jokic. I think, I believe the first round last year for the Warriors was against Denver and we like mm-hmm. 4-1 them. You basically just hack Jokic. You just get physical with Jokic. If you can just stop him, the whole offense just grounds to a halt. But clearly this year, I feel like their support team, your Jamal Murray's, Michael Porter Jr.'s, Aaron Gordon, they have stepped up a bit. They're shooting better. Um, and Jamal Murray, I think, yeah, he had that really good game one last series, but he kind of went cold uh, the rest of it. And you're going to need more of that shooting to keep up with this Lakers team. who have also shown themselves that they can shoot quite well too. Uh, and... The other aspect I'm considering, Denver does have home field, but literally as I'm speaking, I'm feeling more towards, you know what, the Lakers, they do have, might have the better game plan. They might have that uh, kind of advantage going in, at least on the defense aspect. They, they, they've executed their defensive plan really well, uh, relatively uh, against the Warriors there. So, yeah, in terms of my predictions, I was, I was going to say, like, I was going to say, like, 4-2... Denver, but that could very easily well be for two Lakers as well. Um, really hard to tell for myself. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, uh, uh, four three Denver, just because literally, maybe I feel like if if it's their year to win a championship, looks like it's gonna be this one there. So I'm that's literally the basis of my decision. Uh, four three for Denver. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm rooting for Denver. I like Jokic. Um, I don't really have an issue with Denver. I know Gav, who is a Lakers fan, hates Denver. I don't know why, but you know, <laughs> this will be this will be a very entertaining playoff series for him. I I think the biggest concern is just like I have more concerns with Denver's defense than with the Lakers' offense, which has not been consistent at times. And you know, oh man. I think Jamal Murray's really just going to have to step up. Like, he's really going to have to be playoff Murray. And, you know, he's sick too, so I don't know what that's going to be like. But he's really going to have to step up. Michael Porter's going to have to step up too. Like, everyone's going to have to step up on Denver in order for them to be successful. It's hard to beat a LeBron team in the playoffs. It's just what it is. But, yeah. yeah. That could be a really tall task. Really tall task for this Denver team too. I mean, I feel like they've... I feel like their playoff history, right? They they get to the playoffs, but I feel like they get knocked out like first round every time too. So like you know, it could be a big ass to ask for all their shooters to come up with the series of their of their lifetime here against the Lakers. But you know, we'll just have to see. Yep, and both teams are undefeated at home right now, so it's gonna be fun to watch. <sighs> yeah, I don't think it's a series until one team uh, wins a road game. So if the Lakers can take one game. I think they're going to win. Like, if they take one game in Denver, I think they're going to win this series. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. I think that's going to do it for this show. Uh, again, you know, happy Mother's Day for all the mothers out there who, I guess, listen to Sports Council. <laughs> Hell yeah. And uh, you can follow us 
on Spotify and iTunes to see all of our episodes. And you can also follow our Twitter at Bay Council, our Instagram, sports underscore council, to get the latest and greatest of our sports takes. That'll do it. Anything else you guys want to say before you sign off? Well, the Warriors lost, but honestly, you know, it's kind of annoying to have a heart attack every other day in the summer. <laughs> so maybe it's, I feel good to chill back. Just be, watch these last couple series here as a neutral. Just enjoy good basketball. Yeah. Misery loves company too, right? Yeah. <laughs> and even though the Warriors lost, the Suns lost too. And that means Christopher lost. So, you know, you got to focus on the bright side of things. <laughs> the Suns losing oh is indeed God. bright. Pun intended. That's true. I mean, once an, uh, like your team gets eliminated, and I'm speaking to all the fans out there, you know, your team gets eliminated, it sucks. But then the next day, another team gets eliminated. And then everyone clowns on that. So, and say it's the Sixers. Yeah, exactly. So pound on Sixers day. That, that's how the game goes. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next time. Thank you.